chapter 8. We're going to pick up where we left off, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, highly recommend we're going to go through a chapter and a half this morning, Lord willing. And i got to speed it up here. But uh, uh, I recommend if you don't have a Bible, we got a whole stack of them out back. Just raise your hand and we'll get you one. Um, uh, that way you can follow along with us. Anybody need a Bible? Just throw your hand up. Nobody's going to judge you, I promise. No? Okay, good. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 is where we're picking up. It's our practice to uh, study the Bible verse by verse. Uh, so last week we ended in Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Uh, just a recap uh, of what we studied last week. Saul of Tarsus, who will uh, come to know as Paul, is persecuting the Christian church, killing, imprisoning, and causing them to uh, blaspheme the name of Christ. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> he is... Uh, um, just on the war path against Christians. And the persecution that he's pouring out so hard was not having the desired effect uh, that they had hoped for as the church was in Jerusalem was spreading out. <clears throat> Instead of spreading out and shutting up, they were spreading out and preaching the word. The word of God was spreading. So uh, <clears throat> the shift of, of focus comes to a man named Philip who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit in uh, to, to preach, to heal, to cast out unclean, spe unclean spirits. And we also discussed Simon the sorcerer, a man that deceived many into thinking that he was someone special uh, by sorcery. He, he was into demon worship, uh, and he was into whatever he could, uh, he could do to convince people that he was someone great. And that's what he wanted. He wanted people to look at him and to worship him. They considered him to be the great power of God. He then uh, hears the gospel, this uh, Simon, <clears throat> the sorcerer, Philip preaches the gospel. He hears the gospel and uh, when he and was baptized. And when he had witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out on believers' lives, he offered money for it. He offered to pay for it because he's a sorcerer. He's used to having this power and people looking at him as someone great. So he asks to buy it. That's a bad decision to make, right? Uh, because Peter's quite an outspoken guy, and Peter rebukes him, and he tells him that you and your money uh, can go to hell. You know, you, your money perish with you is what he says. You know, that's an awful thing. We probably don't want to walk around. Like I, I said last week, Peter didn't quite make it through a megachurch training, um, uh, you know, uh, where, where he's not going to speak on anything hard or preach the word uh, or, or go around the hard things. He went right into it, and he said, that heart, he said, there's something wrong in your heart, and you need to repent. And Simon um, said, you know, would you pray for me that none of the things you just said about me would happen? So that's where we're picking up here uh, in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, the same Philip that was spreading the gospel there, saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which comes down, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. So uh, we see here in, in these uh, two verses a strong lesson. He was told uh, by the word of the Lord through the angel to go, and he went. Uh, you know, we uh, in our midweek study on Wednesday nights, we're, uh, we're talking about, uh, <clears throat> we're in Exodus, and uh, we are studying the fact that Moses was saying, you know, God, I know you're calling me uh, to do something, but I just can't because I don't speak well enough. And uh, then, you know, you consider someone like Jonah. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Jonah, the Lord told Jonah uh, to go to Nineveh. And uh, and what does he do? He buys a, a ticket for a boat going, uh, just, I'm getting out of here. I'm going in the opposite. I'm not listening to God and everything. And God causes a storm and uh, gets swallowed up by a great fish, and he gets spit out in Nineveh. And, uh, you know, we can go the way of, of rejecting the Lord and going the opposite direction. Philip's life is in submission to Christ, and he loves God, and he wants to follow God. So when he hears the message that he needs to go and, and preach, he's obedient and just goes. Philip knew that he was commissioned and empowered by the Lord, and he had to go, and he was being used mightily and powerfully by God. Verse 27 continued. We read the first half of that. It says, And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot he was reading Isaiah the prophet <clears throat> then the spirit said to Philip go near and overtake his uh, this chariot so 
Philip ran to him and heard him uh, reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a, lamb, as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and asked, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe in your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So that's quite a bit of scripture that we just read. But what we read of is a, a man of great power and responsibility. He's in charge of the queen of Ethiopia's treasury. So this guy, is he means business. You don't want to be on the wrong side of it. You know, if you consider uh, the people that we have that are transporting money, uh, you might see the Brinks truck or you might see the uh, whatever other company, right? They have armed guards with them. Sometimes they have submachine guns with them. Other times they might have a pistol. You don't necessarily want to do something stupid around them, right? My wife and I, when we were stationed in Italy, we uh, learned pretty quickly that there, uh, the, uh, there was a, uh, <clears throat> a group of the Italian police um, called the Car Car Carabinieri. Uh, I have to say it like that, uh, Carabinieri, okay? It just doesn't have the same, the same ring. But they walked around with, with submachine guns on them. They meant business, right? If you've ever visited uh, the Pentagon, gone down for a visit there, they have submachine guns on them. You don't want to mess with those people. Your life will be over like that, okay? This man, is, is uh, he's in charge of the treasury, so he's a trusted man, and he's also somebody you don't want to mess with because he's traveling. Uh, he would be traveling with some pretty serious dudes that uh, you don't want to be on the wrong side of. So they came. He had, he had come to Jerusalem and was returning home, and he's making the most of his time on his way home, and he's reading Scripture. So we understand that this man had a belief in God and uh, had uh, a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And as he's, he's reading, uh, he doesn't really necessarily know what he's reading, but the Spirit gave Philip step-by-step -step, uh, specific instructions on what to do. And uh, Philip catches up and, uh, with, the, uh, with the chariot and has them stop. And Philip heard him reading from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. That scripture that we just uh, we just read through is from Isaiah 53. So Philip asks the man, uh, you know, do you understand what you are reading? And I love his response. It's, how can I unless somebody guides me? He asks Philip then to sit with him. And uh, I encourage us uh, that are believers to take the moments that are presented to us. You know, if somebody literally uh, just just comes up and says, hey, and you guys know if you've attended here, uh, I, I took over uh, pastoring this church nine months ago or so, but you'll know when I talk about soft toss softball, right? You guys understand what that is, right? This is one of those soft toss moments. Like you don't have to wind up. You don't have to really be ready. You just wait for the ball to come in and smash it, right? That's that's one of these moments. You know, you might have a fastball or a curveball come at some time and be ready for those, but this was an easy one. He literally hears this guy reading the scripture and he's invited to come up and share. That door was, was blasted wide open for him to go in and preach the gospel to this man. You know, Romans 10, 14, uh, you'll, uh, you'll remember that it says, uh, Paul, the, the actual guy that we're going to meet here in just a few moments as he's writing a letter to the Romans, he says, how will they hear without a preacher? So if we hear from the Lord and he's opening up doors like this, just jump into it. 
So this is a, a straightforward notification and reminder that we need to be prepared to share the gospel at a moment's notice. You know, we might be completely out of the blue. It might come as a result of God building it up over time. You know, it might be, hey, I want you to go right there. You see that person right there? I want you to go share with them. I've witnessed brothers that just saw somebody sitting, you know, or in the in the morning, big city, and we uh, we could clearly see this man had uh, his life was was run by drug abuse. He was a slave to drugs, and I witnessed a, a brother go over, give him a couple of sandwiches for breakfast, give him some water, tell him Jesus loves him, learn a little bit about him. You know, those types of moments, God might just put it on our hearts. And when he does, obey him. Because that person's going to be ministered to and your life is going to be fulfilled. You're going to be sharpened and built up. Those are important times for us. For us to be ready to know the scripture and, and ready to share them. You know, Jesus told us that we are Christians are the light of the world, the city on a hill that can't be hidden. We don't light a light and then put it, a lamp right over it so nobody sees it, right? That's foolish. Why would you even turn the light on, right? We turn the light on so that you can see. I do that for my kids whenever they're getting out of work or whatever. And uh, I have to keep the light on in, the, uh, in the, uh, the garage too because if the light's not on and I hear those feet pounding up the stairs because they're, they're, something's always chasing them, right? And I have to keep that light on there because it's leading them. Way, I, I, where's the way I need to go? You know, and they're running upstairs. It's funny because they even run up from the basement. Uh, like there's, I'm like, you guys know you live in the basement, right? And they'll come upstairs like, I don't know, it's chasing them. But we, we go towards that light, right? And uh, just as, as Christians, we're called to be lights to a dark world, and we're called to be preservatives. That's what salt does, preserve things. I know Peter tells us to, uh, to always be ready to give an answer in 1 Peter chapter 3. So this Ethiopian asks Isaiah if uh, after you know, they start this conversation, and he's asking him, you know, was this, this prophet speaking of himself or somebody else? Guys, like I said, this is softball. This is the easiest it's going to get. You know, it's like somebody walking up to a, a, a strong Christian that is founded in your faith and understands the scripture. And they're like, I think I'm a sinner and I might need a savior to be saved. Can you help me with that? That's that's what's happening here. Right. It's that easy. Right. <clears throat> and uh, so Philip started with Isaiah 53 and preached Christ to him. You know, take what's given and, hey, I'm going to tell you about the Savior. And, and guys, we don't have to be great and eloquent with words. It's just if we know our Savior, share our Savior and lead somebody and say, I encourage you to accept him and accept the free gift of salvation that he has for you. So after hearing the gospel, he believed and he knew that he needed something more in his life. So they're having this, this discussion and he comes to a point of belief. I love this question. The question he asks is, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? This is speaking of the simplicity of the gospel. They're just riding along in the chariot. He's like, hey, there's some water over there. You spoke of baptism. It doesn't say that in, in the text here, but it's implied where he's like, okay, you told me about Jesus. You told me about baptism and everything. There's water right there. Can, can I just go get baptized? And, 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 and his, his response is, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Guys, his response was in modern day, it's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's go. You know, and, and he goes and, and, and he baptized him. You know, the scripture that came up earlier this morning, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, you know, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Why would we put off the guarantee of salvation that we, when our lives end, and, and Oliver gave, gave an example of Somebody you wouldn't think would just go and, and uh, you know, unfortunately, pray for his family and his friends and everything. But we don't know. I mean, it, it could be a car accident. It could be a brain aneurysm. It could be heart attack. It could be anything. You know, the healthiest of any of us could just go our time. And what the scripture says is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if we're gone from here, now we're in God's presence. I encourage anybody that doesn't know him, it, don't leave here without knowing him. I don't gain like I might gain something in heaven from from telling you that, but it's not like I'm gonna like personally gain like I uh, you know I'm gonna win a free car if you come to the Lord. I'm just encouraging you, you to accept the same Savior that I have, and that anybody else in here uh, that are believers following Him, don't leave without here out here without knowing Him. Today is a day of salvation. If you're waiting, there's nothing to wait for. <clears throat> the simplicity here. You know, what hinders me from ba being baptized? I'll tell you, the church 
is divided over the dumbest of things. And you've heard me say this before. But even baptism. This guy came to a point of belief and he wants to be baptized. And it says that he was baptized. So now, uh, in, in the pride and in some, some hearts, people will say, well, how were you baptized? Were you sprinkled? Were you dunked? Uh, did you, were you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or in Jesus' name? Trying to categorize a, a baptism. Guys, it's an act of obedience. Baptism doesn't save us. Baptism is a symbol of what's happened on the inside of us. It's a symbol of when somebody is, most people are baptized, you know, whole body, they'll just be dunked. And an adult that's made the decision. I grew up Catholic. I was baptized as a baby. It made no uh, difference in my life at all. You know, I didn't know I was being baptized. But if you look at biblical baptism, it's when somebody has made a, uh, a conscious decision to follow Christ. And uh, once they've done that, then uh, it, they take part in baptism. And it's a symbolic thing. We're symbolizing the old, the old life being dead and buried and the new life uh, being brought up, the new life in Christ, that we are a new creation. It's just a symbol, guys. Okay, whether it's in the name of the Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 28, baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right. Father, Son, Holy, if you say Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and you don't say there are religious parts of Christianity will say, well, you weren't, weren't baptized in Jesus name and you weren't specific. Guys, it's foolishness. Let them argue with the words of Jesus Christ. And I'm out of there. I'm getting far away as I can from that. Just bring them. Guys, this is a, he gets to the point and he says, what hinders me from being baptized? And his answer isn't, okay, now we got to go through this, this, and this. You believe in Christ, let's dunk you. And he takes him, dunks him under the water, and when he comes up, we'll, we'll see here. But what happens in this man? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says, Ask and you will be given. Seek and you will find. Uh, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If you're trying to learn who God is, dive into Jesus Christ. Grab your Bible. If you don't have one, we'll get a whole stack of them out back. Take it. It's free. It's yours. That's now your Bible. You have one. Start reading it. I recommend reading in the book of John and start getting to know him. <clears throat> so this man uh, is now seeking God and uh, wants to know the scriptures, and, and he professes faith, and he's baptized. And uh, just understand that from the servant's side of things, he'll use us how and where he wants to. Philip's just there, and the, the angel comes with a message for him and tells him where he needs to go, and he goes, and he, he preaches the gospel to this man. God takes care of the hard things. God sets up everybody's hearts. It's not like we've got to get there and we've got to figure everything out. We go, we do what God lays on our hearts to do, and then we move on. He's going to do the rest. But it, the hard work is done. You know, Philip, <clears throat> all Philip had to do was show up and share Christ. Uh, and, and, uh, and we saw him dunk the guy. So God orchestrated everything. This man to be where he was, to Philip to meet him, uh, for Philip to meet him there. You notice, Philip, uh, there's no message here of him chasing the next miracle. God's using him. And it's not like, it doesn't say that Philip was just sitting there praying, like, God, what's the next miracle I can do? He's just listening to the voice of the Lord, and he's being obedient to what he's been called to do. He's called to go, simply share the gospel, and he does. And when he does, it ends up in this man's salvation. The Lord led him to the next place. We understand that Philip is an evangelist. His job from the Lord is to spread the gospel that people might know who Jesus Christ is, come to a believing faith in him, and come to newness of life in him. And somebody else is going to come along in that person's life. The Lord's going to put them there as they hopefully, after they get saved, get into church attendance, getting into reading the word and growing. Then that person is going to have other people to build them and sharpen them and strengthen them in their faith. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, so the same Saul that we talked about earlier, uh, is uh, Saul of Tarsus is uh, persecuting the church. And it says he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul is still very much on his warpath. He's not settling down. He still wants to take people 
uh, drag them out of their homes, br bring them into imprisonment, uh, doesn't care if they're killed. He was standing there holding coats for people as they killed Stephen. And uh, so this, this man is, is uh, breathing murderous threats and carrying them out uh, against the church. Very serious situation here. And um, he went uh, to the high priest and he's asking, you know what, I need more authority. He goes and he gets the authority so that he can go out further and find more people. And he wants to arrest Christians in Damascus. And uh, it says that he's trying to find people of the way. That's what Christians were called. That's what they were considered, the way, the, the way, the, the one way, right? Uh, back in the 70s, I think it was, this, you know, they had the way, right? The way movement where you would, uh, there's one way, right? And the, the, it was just a finger pointing up. There's one way to God. Jesus said that I'm the way, uh, said in John chapter 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That way, or if you are of Jesus Christ, when it says the way, uh, that uh, he was seeking after Christians to arrest them for their faith. And uh, he wanted to take them to Jerusalem to uh, face the religious leaders. John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. This is going to explain exactly uh, the criteria that Paul met uh, as we're trying to consider who this guy named. And when I say Paul, his name is later changed, uh, changed to Paul, but his, uh, his name is Saul here as we're studying. John chapter 16, verse 1 says this. These things, and it's speaking of the coming rejection of Christ and persecution of the church. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Guys, that was, you know, Paul fit that to a T. That's where this Saul of Tarsus fit in right here. He thought he was doing God's service. And, he, and that these guys were of some cult that were going to lead people away from Judaism. And, uh, and so when Jesus spoke of this, Paul, no, no doubt, uh, was one that would uh, fit into this category. Verse 3. And he, Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, uh, journeyed and came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell down to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the, go the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So this is a crazy moment for Saul of Tarsus. This wasn't in his traveling plans, right? When he looked at his, his agenda, you know, he's, he's got the, uh, um, what do you call it, traveling itinerary. Thank you. And his itinerary. He didn't have that, you know, oh, get completely confronted by uh, Jesus Christ and my life's going to change. Right. He thought he, he's just ready. He is just ready, just vehemently opposed to the Christian faith. And as he came near Damascus and where he was going to persecute Christians, a light shone around him from heaven. And Paul fell to the ground and the, a voice came and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Right. He's persecuting Christians. But Jesus is saying, if you're persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. So it's not just the followers persecuting the Lord. And, and Saul's response is, who are you? Notice the word he uses after that, Lord. Who are you, Lord? Instantly acknowledging that it's someone greater than him. You know, there was something undeniably supernatural happening here uh, in the life of Saul. And Jesus' response to him says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus Christ very much alive and was speaking directly to Saul. And Saul was persecuting uh, everybody and everything about his name, and I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. If that's not going to make somebody tremble and be astonished, I don't know what else will when God is speaking directly to you uh, and in a blinding light and a voice that is just making your heart shake. And that's where he's at. 
And Jesus continues and says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, goads are a prod that would drive an ox uh, and steer it. And the more the ox rebelled against it, sometimes they would kick against it. And that would cause more suffering for them. You know, it's not comfortable to be stabbed, jabbed with something, right? But they would use that to get the ox to move, right? You know, think of a horse being whipped, something, uh, you know, along those lines, right? Being poked. Right? Anybody like being poked? Nobody likes to just, you know, it hurts, right? Somebody could be at school or something. Somebody's got a pencil and they're stabbing you with it. It hurts, right? Hard for you to kick against the goads. Kicking against them would cause more uh, more harm. Proverbs 15.10 says this, Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. You know, if there's a prod driving you uh, to obey God and everything, and you kick against it, what you're doing is, uh, you know, you're forsaking, as, as you're forsaking the way God uh, is explained, uh, when you consider who he is, he's so faithful to, to, to chastise us, to chasten us, to, to correct us. Correction is good for our hearts. That as we're if we're walking in opposition to the word of God and there's correction, obey the correction. If we don't obey the correction, there's destruction on the other side of it. God is trying to save us from something. So if we're rejecting what the word of God is clearly saying, be ready for destruction. Be ready for something uh, in your life that you're not going to appreciate. But the harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way and he who hates correction will die. I don't want that for any of us. So, uh, you know, when if God is prodding, don't kick against it. Listen to it and, and the, go in the direction that he's he's uh, he's you know, pointing us toward. You know, this man was on a war path against Jesus and now he's trembling at Jesus's name and astonished. And he's addressing Jesus as Lord. And he says, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I mean, there's just, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. You know, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And all he can say is, um, what do you want me to do? You know, they're, they're, I know you're here for some reason. Uh, and, and, uh, and Saul's response uh, is, is uh, we understand from his response that he knows his life is changing at this moment. It doesn't know everything, doesn't understand everything, but this is going to change his life forever. It, Jesus only gives him directional instruction. The next step, it's not everything coming. He just tells him where to go and what he needs to do. And he goes, you will be told what you must do. Just go in the direction I tell you to do, and you're going to be told what you must do. Those who were with him could, uh, were speechless. They heard a voice, but they uh, couldn't see anybody. So only Saul uh, could see the light, and um, they uh, could only hear the voice of Jesus and uh, what he was saying to Saul. So this was something that everybody witnessed, and everybody had, uh, had uh, been around and heard, but only Saul could see the light. And uh, what we see here is that it's a blinding light for him. Verse 8, then Saul arose from the ground, and uh, when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. That's a long three days. No sight, uh, you know, no, uh, no eating, no drinking. Uh, this is a time most definitely of fasting and praying. I don't want to eat anything. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm going by myself and praying. And uh, and that's it's a long time. Paul had a lot to think about. He had a lot to reflect on. The Apostle Paul, uh, who, like I said, so if I say Saul and Paul, just understand the same guy, okay? Um, because I did the same thing with Abram and Abraham, okay, when we were going through that. So just get used to it because I'll... I'll but uh, he considered himself to be the chief of sinners because he caused people to blaspheme the name of Christ. And he caused people uh, to be imprisoned in Jesus' name. People lost their lives because of their faith, because of what Paul was doing. You know, so he had three days to reflect on what is going on here. What did he say to me? What does all this mean? I don't know. So no doubt for those three days, he's, he's just, he's at a point where it, when he stood, he couldn't even uh, see, and they had to lead him there. When he's there, uh, he's uh, no doubt by himself and uh, rejecting food and, and water, anything. You know, he got there, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, consider this. He was planning on going to Damascus all along. Things changed for him, though. He planned on going in and ripping people out and I got out of this. When he gets there, he's being led there. He can't even see. 
You know, the change of plans. God had a different plan for, for Saul and, and for Damascus at that point. You know, Paul is filled with rage, and then he meets Jesus, and everything's changed for him. And he's, he's rendered useless, helpless, and all he can do is just go and cry out to God for three days. That's a, that's a powerful change in a, in a direction of mind and heart. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, uh, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So this is a different Ananias than uh, what we studied in Acts chapter 5. We remember him. He and his, his wife uh, lied to the Lord and uh, had false humility, humility and hypocrisy in their lives. And, uh, you know, this is a different person. And, and you know, we understand that Saul was given very general directions. Hey, you just need to go there and wait to see what happens. Ananias was given very specific directions uh, and information, very specific. And he's arrived, and God even told him exactly where to go. Go to Straight Street, right? I want you to go to, to go to, into the city and go specifically to Straight Street. Go to the house of Judas. That's not Iscariot, uh, different Judas. And uh, so he tells him Saul of Tarsus is there, and uh, and he's he's there praying. You know, he's definitely praying, right? It says right in there. In a vision, someone named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him is what he's he's being prepared to see. Somebody who's who's praying that has seen a, a vision of. Uh, imagine the Lord saying that, "Hey, he's seen you in a vision, and I want you to go in." Put your hand on this guy. Yeah, it's the same guy. We'll see here. Uh, and that he might receive his sight. Now, just just think of Saul where he's at. You know, he's there praying. And the paperwork and authority that Saul sought so zealously meant nothing to him anymore. The authority that he had was stripped away by Christ. And uh, now his life's changed. And all he can do is sit there and and pray. And it, it, what we see here is, you know, when, when Christ blinded him and he's trembling and astonished, all he can do is three days just go and pray. And that's, that's where he's at. And as he's told to do that, God is already preparing somebody to go and meet him there. You see how God's working? He's not in one place at one time. He's in all places at all times. So God is orchestrating. You're going to go there. You're going to do what I tell you. And he's telling Ananias, you're going to go there, and I'm going to give you very specific instructions, and you need to go and do what I tell you to do there. And we'll see how this all comes together right here. Verse 13, and then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias seems to be asking uh, if he's, you know, hearing correctly. Like, like the same one, you know, Lord, are we having, uh, we're talking about the same guy, right? You want me to go to who? You know, there, there might be times where God is calling us to do what's going to be fearful. But if he's calling us to do it, do it. That's uh, an example we can get here. You know, he's saying, you want me to go to the guy with the authority to arrest me and, and kill me and, and my, my brothers and sisters in Christ and, the one that everybody's been telling me about, is that, that the one that you're telling me? And, you know, the guy that's already wreaked havoc on the church in Jerusalem. That guy, that same Saul of Tarsus, look at verse 15. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God's response to him is go. That's his response. Go. I've got other plans for, for Saul's life. You know, that he's going to do something and he's going to suffer for my name. Yes, Ananias, the same Paul, right? That same Saul that you've heard of, Saul of Tarsus, it's the same God. But I have different plans for him. I know that you know him as this. I want you to go. And he has a different plans, uh, you know, ahead for him that he doesn't know about. But, but the Lord just says, go. That's his response. Go. And then he explains, you just go, and I have another, uh, another plan for Saul's life. So that contrast word there, but go. But go. I know this is happening. I know you have this concern, but go. You know, he is a chosen vessel of mine. God loves to use unexpected chosen vessels. 
If you look through the scriptures, all through it. The people who can't speak, they can't do this or that. They're too young. They're too old. They're too this. They're too that. Just what God wants. That humility of heart. Because when we go up and go, yeah, Lord, I got it all. I meet this criteria. You're going to benefit from having me do this. <laughs> You're out of, you know, out of consideration, right? It's not how the Lord works. He says he will be bearing, he tells them that he'll be bearing Christ's name before the Gentiles, non-Jews, kings and children of Israel. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The great name that he persecuted so viciously will be the name that he bears before all these people, the Gentiles. That's a, that's a, a huge thing in church history that non-Jews would come to know the God of Israel. That's a, that's a big thing that's being said here. You know, God now plainly saying that he's sending him to the Gentiles. Until this point, uh, you know, Gentiles were considered unclean in the eyes of the Jewish, uh, Jewish, even Jewish Christians. And it leads to some serious contention in the church. Uh, there's uh, the Jerusalem Council that will come up and we'll, we'll study. In Galatians 2, Paul spoke of having to rebuke Peter, uh, the same Peter that we wrote, uh, we've read about and studied, that went and preached boldly in Jesus' name. That same uh, 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 Peter needed to be rebuked because he was separating himself. When, when other people, other Jews were around, he's separating himself from the Gentiles. And he needed to be corrected for that. And the word is saying here that Paul will suffer for the name of Christ. The name that he was persecuting, the, the, the God that he was persecuting and his followers, he's going to suffer for that, that same name. He's going to be beaten, scourged, imprisoned, stoned, and he loses his head. Ultimately, uh, as our, our brother uh, Paul does, he had rejected and persecuted Christ. And when he gets to that point, he doesn't complain. He boasts in Christ and he has joy from Christ in his persecution. Verse 17, and Ananias went on his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when uh, he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent uh, days uh, with the disciples at Damascus. So Ananias was faithful to God's command. He heard. He was able to voice his concern. You guys have concerns? Voice them to the Lord. But when the Lord responds and he gives you, give us our answer, if we don't like it, then still listen to the Lord. If we don't like the answer, that doesn't mean that we can cherry pick and, and choose what we want to follow and what we don't. We have to follow the word, word of the Lord. It's, it's the, uh, the authority in our lives. So he gets the command of God, and, and his, uh, that command triumphed over his fear and doubt. And uh, he knew that he had the authority of God's word in his life. And, and uh, that's a, this is a man that we can learn from. You know, do as, as, as he did. As, as God is leading us, uh, just be obedient. And uh, don't follow your fear. So Ananias went on his way, entered the house, and laid his hand on Saul, just like Saul had heard from the Lord in a vision that he would. And just like Ananias was told that Saul would be expecting. You see God orchestrating this, right? You know, there was a, this was a different laying on of hands than Saul was used to. You know, he was laying his hands on Christians to drag them off, to, to be a judge for their uh, Christianity. You know, this was a soft hand of support and a new brother in the Lord. So it's a different, this is, this is an, an encouraging hand on the shoulder. You know, one that nobody would have thought would, would become a Christian is now a Christian, and Ananias is there, and he's reaching his hand out and calls him brother. They're brother because they have the same father now. They have the same father. They've been redeemed by Christ, and now they have the same father. You know, this person they would last suspect would come to Christ. You know, guys, don't be surprised when the person who's in most opposition to the word that we're sharing gets saved. Just don't be shocked. There's no greater example that we're going to see. You're not going to find one that's like so over-the-top crazy than this man who is a Christian murderer being saved. 
You know, the, the Lord Jesus, uh, he says, uh, you know, the same one that appeared to you has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales filled from his, fell from his eyes and received sight at once. He rose and was baptized. So we received the Holy Spirit before he was baptized. God does what he wants. You can't put him in a box and be like, oh, this, this can't happen until this. And it has to happen this way. And this word needs to be said. The crazy confusion, guys. It's just faith in Christ and ob obedience to him and his word and following him. That's it. Let's not make it difficult. So now he, uh, he received food and was strengthened, and he spent time with the disciples at Damascus. So now he gets to the point where he's, going, he's coming in, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, he came in with one plan, and God had different plans for him. And now the people that he came to arrest, persecute, and kill are now the ones putting their hands on his shoulder, calling him brother. And caring for him, feeding him, you know, helping him, baptizing him, loving him. You know, God's plans are so much greater than ours. Verse 20, immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he, uh, that he is the son of God. So Saul, being led by the Holy Spirit, wasted no time getting to work. He immediately preached Christ in the synagogues where the Jewish leaders and religious leaders, his buddies would be. Now he's standing on the other side. Wait a minute. Didn't you just get authorization to go and, and, uh, and, and share? And now he's in Damascus in the synagogue where he thought, you know, all the, the people there heard, oh, Saul's coming. Yeah, we're going to be in good shape. And now here he is three days uh, later after uh, losing his sight and everything. And now he's there uh, preaching that Jesus is the son of God. You know, and as I said earlier, if you think you or somebody you know can't be changed, look at the life of Saul of Tarsus. Verse 21, then all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? You know, look at God, uh, how God amazes people with his redemptive ways as we're looking at this. God's redemption's got everybody amazed. Isn't this the guy that was after us? That's what they're all saying. Now he's their brother. And he's preaching Christ, that he is the son of God, right in the synagogues. Now Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. <clears throat> Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. So Saul's now growing stronger in his faith as the Spirit is his source, and it says to confound, and that's surprising or confusing everyone or even putting them to shame uh, as he's having this discussion. He's proving that Jesus is the Christ. You know, uh, I, I can tell you, uh, you know, he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that Israel was looking forward to, to deliver them. They were looking for one to come deliver them from the bondage of Rome, but he came for so much more than that. The first time to save from sin. He will return and he will take his church. A whole different discussion for us. But the Messiah, the one that they had, that were waiting for, for so long, they rejected him when he came. And Saul has the opportunity to reject, uh, to, uh, to just go head to head with them and, and prove. It. Saul knew the prophecies. He knew the words. And he could say, hey, it says right here that was speaking about Jesus. And right here, speaking about Jesus. Jesus fulfilled over 350 prophecies. All spoken about him. Every single one of them fulfilled by Christ. Uh, he was preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Now, uh, a word of warning. Some might be interested in biblical findings of today. Oh, hey, an archaeological dig brings up. You guys remember this from like 20-something years ago, and I'll be as quick-winded about this as I can. Do you remember they found the tomb of, of James, the brother of Jesus? I think, it was, I think it's what they said. It, 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 that was the tomb uh, that they had found. And it was over 20 years ago. We were in uh, Washington State at the time. And I remember watching a man that was really skeptical, skeptical about his faith. He's like, oh, now that I heard this, now I know the gospel is true. And I'm like, no, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If this points you to the scripture and you start diving into that, then you come to faith. But if we start coming to faith based on things that happen around us, no, it has to be who is Jesus Christ. That's the, that needs to be the start of faith. Not this thing that might happen in a day that, ooh, hey, just because this happened. No, just tell them, hey, this got your attention, but you need to know Jesus. And that's where, where Saul is, is uh, starting right there. 
Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So the sons of the devil, remember Jesus called the uh, religious leaders sons of the devil. You know, their friends in Damascus wanted to, uh, to, to you know, they, they all heard. And uh, then he gets brought to, to Jerusalem, right? And uh, when they get back there, they're ready to kill even Saul now. And uh, Jesus called uh, the religious leaders in that day sons of the devil because they were full of murder. And they say he was a murderer from the beginning. You're, the murder in your heart comes from your father. So the change in Paul uh, was so radical that uh, that now he's the one being persecuted. He w he had the the authority to go persecute. Now he's the one, and they're watching the gates day and night, are ready to kill him. So the disciples lower him down uh, from the city wall in a large basket. The one they were afraid of, they're now protecting, and they're at night doing special military operations and dropping him down, you know, the, the wall at night so nobody sees him. You know, they didn't really have ascenders and descender machines and everything, so they had the basket. And they're just lowering them down the old school way, right? So they're, they weren't buying into everything about Saul being a believer yet. You know, and, and that's a, a reminder to us. Don't expect people to automatically accept the change in you just because, hey, I've, I've met you. No, I don't, I'm not, I don't believe you yet. I know you're saying these things, but I'm not buying off on it yet. Don't get discouraged by that, right? Don't get discouraged by it. You know, if somebody's brand new in Christ and saying, hey, my new, my life has changed. I'm a different person now. Don't be discouraged. You know, win them over by your conduct, the love and the truth of the gospel. So Saul's now headed uh, to Jerusalem. I said he was there, but now he's heading to Jerusalem. And the disciples, uh, you know, had the Holy Spirit, but were all still, uh, still afraid of him. You know, people that were filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that they didn't, they weren't, uh, uh, still human. They still had fear to deal with, and they still had things. Uh, so when they uh, um, they heard about Saul, they they uh, um, they didn't believe at first. And uh, you know, not that their fear was completely irrational, but you know, they had to grow in their faith also. And uh, so they they are they're afraid of of Saul, and uh, they they have to come to a, a point where we see in twenty seven. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he, has, he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out and uh, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists, uh, but they attempted to kill him. So uh, Saul's being rejected. The, the apostles are like, no, 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 no. We don't want him here yet. We don't, we don't know what's going on. Barnabas comes in. This is but Barnabas. Another word of contrast there, but Barnabas. The encourager, remember him from Acts chapter 4, the son of encouragement, comes along. And he's also called a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He comes alongside Paul and brought them to him. You know, he was the link between Saul and the apostles. And he comes in and he's like, guys, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about. I'm here, and I'm, I'm, I, I, I can vouch for him. And they heard Barnabas confirm the change, and they accepted Saul. And uh, he's with them in Jerusalem, and now he's coming in and going out speaking boldly. And remember, we talked about the power would be received. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said they would receive power to be witnesses. And now it's that, that power from Acts 1-8 is now in, in Saul's life. And he's preaching and sharing, you know, and as he's preaching and sharing, attempts are being made on his life. We're going to wrap up right here. Verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So now everybody's finding out. They send him to Tarsus. That's where Saul's from. Uh, just be prepared. Sometimes your home, your family's home is going to be the hardest place for you to be a witness for Christ. Heads up. 
Because they know they got all the dirt on you. Anyway, so he gets sent home. Judea, Galilee, you know, uh, Galilee's where the fishermen of the apostles were from, and, and Samaria. So he's being sent there. It says that the churches had peace and were edified. They had peace, and edified means built up. They had peace, and they were being built by the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord, they were no longer in fear of this man. God had taken care of that. They're now walking in the fear of the Lord and growing in their faith. It says they have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. John 15, verses 26 and 27. Jesus speaking to his disciples, preparing them for his departure. He says, but when the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is come, whom I send, this is King James Version, whom I will send unto you uh, from the Father, even to the Spirit, even the Spirit of truth, who, which proceeded forth from the Father, he will testify of me, and ye also shall be, uh, shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So when it says here that uh, they were walking in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that he came to be the Comforter, and it says that they were multiplied. You know, everything Jesus said would happen uh, when he ascended did. The Lord is trustworthy. Jesus is God in the flesh. And the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the hardest, most sinful. It can bring a man that's just reading the scripture, doesn't understand it, to a point of joy once they've accepted the Lord and start walking with them. You know, God will mold into tools and use those who come to him powerfully by the gospel of peace. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll pray? Get stretched out a little bit. Father, we are grateful that you change lives, that you save those who are seeking you, as we saw with the Ethiopian eunuch, that you work in the life of the Christian to use us, sinners made whole by you, and that you would use us is an amazing thing. And God, that you would change the hardest of hearts, and that you would restore Saul, change him, make him into a new man, a man commissioned by you to preach the gospel, to suffer many things. And as we study through, we'll see that he does and that he was faithful to the call, that his life changed forever that day. They met you on the road to Damascus. Help us to walk in newness of life, blessing and praising you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.